Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the teachers here, and I uh, just want to say thank you so much for joining us here today, this Sunday morning. Hey, if you are new or visiting with us, I just want to echo what Eric said, man. We were just thrilled, honored, privileged to have you here uh, with us. Uh, you joined us at a really, really good time because we're starting a new series today. Uh, now, how many of you like a really, really good story? Maybe it's a, a, a book or maybe it's a movie like many of us like really good stories, right? There's just something about a story that captivates our intention, right? It, it engages us. And, and the way that the author or maybe the producer uh, kind of puts together a, uh, a script or a story to engage us, there's just something about that, right? My, my daughter, she is in the third grade, Brecken, and uh, she's at that point now where we're reading a lot, right? And, and they're trying to engage uh, a young child's mind in reading. And so uh, this year we've been tasked to read every night for 30 minutes. Maybe for some of us, some of us that's pretty hard. Uh, but we're doing that. My wife and I, we've been doing that with my daughter. And it's crazy because all of these, these writers in these storybooks, children's storybooks, like if you really read them, it's quite fascinating how they can take a simple story and engage somebody with it, right? Whether if it's a funny story or a sad story or a scary story, a good author always takes information and engages the reader. Uh, many of us know that the Bible has a lot of really, really good stories in it, don't we? You know, this isn't just a, a fictional storybook, though. This is a, a storybook that really brings about life change. You know, we believe that the Bible is living, uh, it's active, it's God-breathed, as Scripture says. And so in these stories, we have the ability to be engaged by the Word of God, and the hope is that it challenges us and it changes who we are. You know, arguably the best storyteller of all times uh, was Jesus Christ himself, right? Many of us know that Jesus actually taught in uh, story form, right? You guys have heard of parables, right? A parable uh, really is a story that engages the audience and brings about a divine or a deeper understanding of a story. Uh, when I was in uh, Bible school, uh, a parable was maybe explained to me that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so what we're going to do in this next four weeks is we're going to uh, engage in a story in Luke chapter 15, arguably one of the, uh, the greatest stories of all times in the New Testament, and it's the story of the prodigal son. Now, many of us, we hear that, you know, maybe that phrase or we see that tagline in the Bible, and at face value, we think, oh, this is going to be a story of just one guy. But as we're going to dig and investigate in Luke chapter 15, in the entirety of the story, we're going to see that it's not just one son, it's actually two, and there's a father that's involved. And so over the next couple of weeks as we dig into this story, uh, we're going to see how each of these characters really come to life and how we can learn from each individual. And so today what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, we're going to look at the story or the character in the story, uh, the prodigal son. And so uh, we'll jump right into the story. It's in Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 11, and it says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you, di before you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So just a little context of what's happening here in Luke chapter 15, uh, in verses one and two, it says that Jesus is teaching. So again, the greatest teacher of all time, he is teaching and he's teaching in a way that engages the audience, he's using parables. And the Bible says that he's engaging all different kinds of people, from the worst sinners to the most religious elite. In fact, in, in verses one and two, it says that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious elite, are angry at Jesus because he's teaching sinners, right? You shouldn't be engaging those sinners, you shouldn't be talking to those people. But Jesus is doing it anyway because he loves both the sinner and the religious elite alike. And so what we see in this, this specific part of the story in Luke chapter 11, it says that he's using this story to illustrate something even further. Now we don't have time to dig into uh, the other two parables, but there are two parables before the prodigal son that Jesus is using to help them understand this story. It's the parable of, of the lost coin and the, and the, the lost sheep. So I encourage you to, to go and, and read but what he's doing here is he's now engaging them with this story to illustrate a point further. And so here's how the story starts. It says that there, are, there is one son, uh, actually two sons, and one is saying to his father, I want my share of the estate. I want my inheritance early. Now, there are tons and tons of negative uh, negative implications here. We don't have time to get into that, but cultural implications. But basically what the son was saying to his father is, I want you dead. <laughs> I, I literally would rather have you dead than be with you because I want my share of the inheritance. Now that, that's you know, pretty sad, but what's even crazier about the story is that the father is willing to give him his share of the inheritance. And so for whatever reason, he says, yep, okay, I'll, I'll split it up between you two sons. And this too has implications. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I come to this part of the story and I think this is pretty comical because the thought of me giving anything to my kids right now, I mean, I'm just barely, you know, doing my own thing, right? And so the father is saying, okay, I'm willing to give you my money. And so uh, the father gives him the money and we're going to see now what happens with him when he gets this inheritance. And so really what we're gonna see in the next you know, 25 or so minutes, 20 minutes, is how uh, th this prodigal son squanders away his father's inheritance, and really three things that we can learn from his life and from his actions. The first is this. The further we wander, the further away we'll be. Now you look at this and you think, well duh, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's pretty, pretty, cl pretty clear, it's clear now. But the further we wander, the further away we're going to be. You know, have you ever set out for a destination and you make, maybe make a, a wrong turn, maybe you're hiking or something, you're setting off to go one way, you take a left turn, and you realize that you're going the wrong way. And eventually what happens is, is you're so far away from your destination that you just don't even know what to do. My, my neighbor and I, uh, we went on an ATV ride last year in, in the Uinta Mountains. And we set off for a destination that was 20 miles away. And we are, are set off on this destina destination in ATV. And somewhere along the way, we took a, a, a wrong turn. And before we knew it, we were, uh, instead of going 20 miles to our destination, we were about 20 miles in the other direction. 
And so we're sitting there thinking, well, if we go from here to there, that's 40 miles, not 20, right? And so there's this idea that when we go further away from a destination, it's the, it's, we're further away from where we want to go. Isn't it the same when it comes to decision making? I mean, have you ever made one bad decision and it takes two, maybe sometimes three good decisions to get back to where you want to be? Right, or, or maybe you've engaged in a bad decision, and you're like me, bad decision uh, follows bad decision, which follows bad decision, which follows bad decision, which follows bad decision, right? We could go on and on and on. And before we know it, we are so far away from where we want to be, maybe it's in life, or maybe it's in a relationship, or maybe it's even in our relationship with God, that we feel defeated, and you see, that's exactly what happens to the prodigal son. Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and he's further and further away from his father. Let's look at that, and it starts in verse 13. It says, a few days later, after he received his inheritance, this, uh, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, he wasted all his money in wild living. The son asks for his inheritance early. That's a bad decision. The son takes off and he moves to a distant land. That's a, another bad decision. The son decides to just blow his money all away on wild, you know, you know party living. Another bad decision. And, and bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And he's left further away than what he probably thought was where he wanted to be. You know, I think we look at a story like this and we think, man, what an idiot. Like, what, what, this guy's crazy. He gets all of this money, right? And then he goes off and makes all of these bad decisions. Who would do that? Well, I'd like to think many of us wouldn't do that, but research says that actually one of three, one in three people who receive an inheritance blow it within five years. <laughs> in fact, it's even, uh, you know, you've heard of people who win the lottery, Right, people who win the biggest of lotteries, the, stati the statistics are even higher for them to lose all of their money. 70% of someone who wins the lottery blows through their money within five years. Now, I'd like to say that I'd be you know, the other 30% in that lottery. Can I get an amen from anybody in here, right? We're probably gonna make better decisions with that. In fact, if you wanna join me, I'm headed to Idaho to see if I can get the Powerball after this. But, but we look at this story and we think, man, what are you doing? Like, you've already disgraced your father, but then you receive this and you go away and you blow it, right? You just continue to make bad decisions. Like, when are you going to come to your senses? And what we see is he went further and further away, bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and before he knew it, he was so far away from where he wanted to be. In fact, we, we read it in, in verse 14, uh, through 16, this culmination of his wandering. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. When it rains, it pours, doesn't it? He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But it says that no one gave him anything. You see, what had happened is 
Bad decision after bad decision after bad decision led to desperation. I mean, he had literally hit rock bottom. He had moved so far away from where he wanted to be, from his family, from his father, from his brother. He had, he had made so many bad decisions that he's now on the verge of complete destruction and disaster. In fact, it says that he was starving. And you know what's really interesting? Again, just a kind of a cultural side note, this, this is an all-time low for him because he's actually working with pigs. The Jewish audience would have known that pork is unclean. So not only are you working in a pig, pig, pig stand or a pig sty, but you're also doing it with an unclean animal. And so he had literally stooped to the all-time low. He had never been further away. And you know, I, I think for many of us, maybe, maybe you're here today and you feel this way. Maybe you feel this way because of some sin in your life, like something has happened or something that you've done or, or something that we've done that maybe pushes us further and further away from God and we think we're making traction and then we take two steps back and we just feel so defeated, like we, we feel further and further away from God. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not in a sin issue, but you still feel far from God. And you're just kind of coasting in life and you're kind of going about your life, you know, checking off the Sunday box, right? And we still feel far from God. But here's what I want us to know. We are not too far away from God. In fact, our next point is that it's never too late to turn back to God. It's never too late to change our direction. But all we have to do is be willing to admit our wrong and, and to repent. You know, I remember on that ATV ride, there was a point where I began to feel fearful. Like I was in a place where I didn't really know where we were. I was kind of trusting on my neighbor's, you know, guidance. And, and I remember it was starting to get dark and it was cold. There was some snow up there still. And, and I said to myself, like, what are we going to do here? I literally became afraid. And I was like, why don't we just keep going straight and maybe we'll find a road somewhere. But he said, no, let's just go back, let's follow our tracks. And, and we did. We, we turned around and we followed our tracks and we were able to, to get back to where we started. You know, it's, it's never too late to turn away from our bad decision making or, or to turn away from our wandering to turn back and to go to God. Listen to what it says in verse 17. And, and again, this is uh, what happened after the prodigal had hit rock bottom. In verse 17, it says this, when he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'm gonna go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know, in the middle of hitting rock bottom, in the middle of being completely desperate, in the middle of making bad decision after bad decision, the son finally comes to his senses. I love how it starts there. It's like you were making all of these bad decisions. Everything that you were doing was contrary to what you should be doing. And finally, it took you hitting rock bottom for you to come to your senses. And it says that when he came to his senses, he, he, he made a plan to turn back 
and to go back to his father. You know, I think for many of us what happens is naturally when we make bad decisions, we're prideful. And we don't want to, you know, admit that what we had done is wrong. We don't want to admit that what we said to our spouse was the wrong kind of thing. You know, we, we don't want to admit the, the decision or the mistake or the sin that we did was really that bad. And so we find ourselves again, wandering further and further away from God because we're not willing to say, hey, listen, I messed up. You see, what we see here is that the, the, the prodigal son, he realized, man, I really, really made a mistake. And you know what it took for him? It took hitting rock bottom. And you know, here's what I, what I know that's been true in my life, and maybe it's been the same for some of you in this room too, but sometimes God has to allow things to happen to really get my attention before I come to my senses. I mean, have you ever, you know, had something <clears throat> that just over time has compounded and you feel like, man, how did I even get here? And there's this moment of desperation that there's nothing else that I can do. There's nothing more that I can do. The only person that can do something here is God. Have you ever felt this way? And so at rock bottom, we, we, we tend to go towards God. But you see, the moral of the story is, is that God wants us to go to him in everything that we do in every circumstance and situation. You know, th this, this part of the story is powerful for many reasons, but, but here is what stands out. He was willing to repent. Repentance. He was willing to, to take ownership. You know, this, this word, repent, it's, it's kind of a churchy word, right? It's something that you hear uh, in church or with sin. Uh, but, but this idea and the meaning of this word, it's super powerful. It's very simple but super powerful. If we look at the uh, Oxford Dictionary, repentance is the action of repenting. And then there's something. It says sincere regret or remorse. You know, the word that, that, that the author was using here, the Greek word is metanoia. And what this means, it's so simple and so powerful. It's literally a change of mind or a change of direction. And so we get this picture, right, this picture of, you know, when we go our own way, you know, there's God's standard for us. And really the definition of sin is saying, there's God's standard, but I'm going to walk and I'm going to go in my own direction. But repentance is saying, listen, I realize that my direction is the wrong direction. And so a simple change of mind or a turning and a shifting and going back towards God, his way, his direction, his guidance, his leadership, that is repentance. It's saying, God, I am remorseful for the things that I have done against you. It's like the prodigal, is, is what he was saying is, is, God, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you, my father. And you see, he was willing to take responsibility, and he felt guilt and remorse. And you see, I think for many of us, we, we walk in this direction of sin and shame, and we feel judgment, and, and we feel like it's too hard to, to, to repent or to ask for forgiveness. It's too hard. I've done too much to turn around and go back to God, but that is just not true. God says wherever we are in our life, wherever we are, all we have to do is change our direction and turn towards him. You know, I think if you're a Christian in this room, 
repentance is a part of the Christian life from start to finish. Like, like I don't know about you, but I need, I need forgiveness every single day. <laughs> and, and you see this idea of repentance, it, it, it's saying, God, I am so sorry for what I've done today. But we know that our God doesn't lord over us or judge us or condemn us or shame us or guilt us. Instead, what he does, the Bible says that he forgives us our sins past present and future. Thank you, Jesus. All we have to do is turn. Turn to him in everything that we do. Sin is going our own way. Repentance is saying, God, I want to go back your way. And it's that simple. Maybe you're here today and, and you're investigating. You know, you're investigating church. You're investigating God. Well, well, well here's, here's the, the greatest news that I have for you. You're in the right place. Because whatever you're going through, God knows, number one. And number two, we can turn from that and turn to him, and he can change our life. He starts from the inside out. It's never too late to turn back to God. Let's close today with one, I think, pretty practical yet really extremely important point that we're going to pull out of this story, and it's this, is that we can never out God's forgiveness. We can never out God's forgiveness. You know what's so interesting about this story in, in Luke chapter 15? is that many of the people that were there and Jesus was teaching, they wanted Jesus to stop the story in verse 16, right? The, the story in verse 16 says, no one came to his rescue. He had hit rock bottom. His bad decisions were worthy of the consequences. And so, you know, the religious leader saying, yes, that's exactly right. Sin after sin after sin, squandering away his father's inheritance, to even ask for that inheritance in the first place, what a disrespectful thing to do. And then he goes off and he squanders it and partying and, and living against his father and really just dragging his, his family name through the mud. He's getting exactly what he deserves. And you know, you look at the story at face value and they're probably right. But here is what is so amazing. Here's so is what, what is so amazing about the love of God is that even though the consequence of our sin is death, Romans 6.23, the wage of sin, the consequence of sin in our life is death, both physically and eternally, even though we deserve that, Jesus gives us what we don't deserve. In fact, the second part of Romans 6.23 says something so much deeper, but the gift. It's a free gift, a gift of, of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, the gift of our sins being forgiven for all time comes through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It didn't matter how far he went. It didn't matter how, how bad things got. There was forgiveness. Listen to what it says in, in verse, uh, verse 20. It says, so he returned home to his father. Man, just the courage to even do that. He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. There's just something so powerful about this, friends. Please. The father saw him coming. It's almost as a picture that the father is waiting in anticipation for his youngest son to come home. Even though his son 
destroyed their name. Even though the son had left, he was anticipating, please come back. We want you to be a part of the family. And it says he, he, he was waiting for him, saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, listen, he's, he's actually coming through with his repentance. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I can, I can picture the religious elite sitting there in shock. Jesus teaching something that is completely different than what they would begin to anticipate. It says the, the most important thing that we can see in this story is that if we're far away from God, he is patiently waiting for us to turn and come back to him. Nothing that we have ever done, no sin too grievous, no repetitive sin is too much for God. He's waiting in anticipation for us. And I love that verse 20. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. You know, friends, God is waiting for us to turn to him. There is no, no one, nothing that we have done that puts us too far away from God. And you see, this, this is a perfect picture of how God is with us. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and it says this. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, God, God doesn't hold our sin against us. God doesn't want us to feel shame and, and, and guilt and condemnation. God is patiently waiting for us to repent, to turn to him and to say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And the Bible says that when we do that, he freely gives us new life, both physically and spiritually, so that one day we can be in his presence for eternity. Wherever we are today in our walk with God, would we turn away from our sin and selfishness and would we face and trust in God in everything that we do? You know, I, I, I wanna close with, with thinking about Jesus, God himself. You know, God, God demonstrates something a little bit different with his son. You know, we read a, a, a very, you know, in John 3.16, many of us have heard the, the, that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And you know, what's interesting about this is God did something so much different. What he did was he gave his son for us. You see, the, the reason why we're able to turn away from sinful living and to turn to God is because God sent his son from the glory of heaven, being worshiped in angel, by angels as we sang today. And he steps from heaven to earth and he takes on humanity, he takes on flesh. And he lives a life that none of us could live. He lives a life free of sin. And he dies a death that we deserve. He took the punishment of our sin upon him, the weight of our sin upon him when he went to the cross. And the Bible says that on him, by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. We are forgiven. 
You see, God gives the most precious thing, and so this gives us a reason for hope. If you have never done that today, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, myself will have people up here afterwards that would love to pray with you on just how to do that. Now, again, this is for everyone. When we read God's word, the story is for everyone, and so all of us are on different pathways, different journeys, different uh, you know, timelines in our direction, but we all can turn to him, regardless of where we are in our life, and he is waiting for us. Revelation 3.23 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in and share a meal with him as friends. God is waiting for us, friends, wherever we are, to take the next step with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living. I thank you that it's active. I thank you that you use stories that, that encounter us, that engage us to grow in theological and divine understanding. I thank you that we can turn back and read stories like this and know that you are a God who wants us to turn away from our sinful way of living every moment of our every day and turn to you, God. And just as the prodigal son's father was waiting in anticipation and met him in stride to hug him and to love him and to forgive him completely, God, you do the same for us. We are forever indebted to that. May we experience your embrace and your grace today. God, for those of us in this room that have been living that way, if our lives, would we give that, the miracle of that grace, your grace to someone else in our lives. We love you so much, Jesus. There's none like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.